Welcome back to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. You're listening with Nate Terracio. Welcome back to the Coger Center Arts Roundup podcast. Our special guest this week is Adam Epstein, the founder of Innovation Arts and Entertainment. Uh, he is here talking to us about an exciting new venture, the Cola Concerts venue that is at the Columbia Motor Speedway. Adam, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. It's a pleasure. Nice to see you guys again. It's good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Um, so arts, uh, Innovation Arts and Entertainment is based out of Chicago. Tell us, tell, is that right? Tell us about uh, how long you've been running this company and what does Innovation Arts and Entertainment do? Innovation Arts is a diversified live event producer and most recently a venue designer and contractor and builder. Now we've worked with you at the Coger Center before because you've been a part of bringing some shows to the Coger Center. What, what shows have you brought here to Columbia before? Uh, primarily, I've brought uh, the writer David Sedaris. He's a best-selling author and uh, contributor to uh, National Public Radio. And we've been producing David's tours for about 18 years. And I believe we've promoted over 700 shows with him and done two or three events in Columbia. What are some other kinds of events that you promote uh, around the country? So we produce 16 Broadway series across North America, um, everywhere from McAllen, Texas, to Joliet, Illinois, to um, Salisbury, Maryland, and uh, London, Ontario, where we're a, um, a prolific promoter of touring Broadway shows. Uh, we also have a long history of producing tours for journalists, politicians, celebrities, uh, notable people, like um, uh, we produced tours for Neil deGrasse Tyson for a few years. We produced tours for Ira Glass from This American Life. Uh, we produced uh, Anthony Bourdain's tours. We were his tour producer for a decade until he passed away. Uh, so we have a long history of working with individuals who have something important and relatively educational to talk about on stage uh, along a domain we refer to as intelligent entertainment. So how did you get into the business? Uh, did you start Innovation Arts Entertainment or uh, um, were you working for another company doing this kind of promotion and touring prior to uh, Innovation Arts Entertainment? That's, a, that's an interesting story. And it, it, it's, it, I have been promoting shows for over 30 years. And uh, I started when I was an undergraduate ma managing local bands when I was at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And we, uh, I managed a few bands who primarily played small clubs and fraternity parties. And then in I went to graduate school. I was getting a dual PhD in developmental psychology and in educational psychology. I was studying infants and uh, motor development. Uh, basically how babies learn to walk. And while I was in graduate school, I started, uh, I developed an interest in uh, bringing big concerts to Bloomington, Indiana, where I was in school. 
And so on the side, while I was in graduate school, I started reaching out to agents that produce, that, that, that represent some of the bands I love. And uh, I annoyed the hell out of them until a few of them started to take my calls. And along the way, while I was in school, over the last three years of school, I ended up booking about, I think it was over 50 concerts on and, and booked them at the IU Auditorium in, in Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, ended up just having a blast doing it. Uh, I was having so much fun and I had a knack for booking shows that sold out. And I ended up getting, uh, ending up in a partnership with two Midwest's uh, largest concert promoters, Sunshine Promotions and Jam Productions, and eventually ended up working for Jam Productions uh, when I decided to leave school and get into this full time. Um, I worked for Jam for about four years and uh, in their theatrical division. And that was where I went from booking concerts to working and promoting touring theatrical shows and uh, found that I loved the actual business of producing and promoting shows, that it really didn't have as much to do with what was on stage as opposed to the act and, 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 and challenges related to uh, uh, you know, finding an audience for any event and, and making it work. Um, and so I ended up working at, in Jam, at Jam Productions for their theatrical division. And uh, after about four years, had really developed a, a, what I thought was a, a, the enough proficiency in what I was doing to do it for myself. And that's, uh, that was in March of 2000. I left Jam Productions on my birthday in, in 2000 and opened up what became Innovation Arts and Entertainment. So you said something earlier that I wanna circle back to, which is, um, you felt like the job is to get a large group of people to come together and have a shared experience in person. Uh, I'm, I'm coming back to this because uh, these are particularly difficult times here in November of 2020 to be uh, in the business of getting a large group of people to come together. Um, but what I'm seeing people like you are doing is you have uh, created new and exciting ways to get those large groups of people to come together uh, you this past summer ran, was it a drive-in up in the Cape Cod area in order to get bands and comics to come out and uh, allow people to come in the safety of their own cars, which made them feel like I, I'm protected. Um, is that what that venue was like? Can you talk about how you've had to pivot um, in, into new thought processes? Sure, yeah. So, so uh... Uh, you know, so back in March, uh, my entire st staff, or I should say, a part of my staff, about eight of eight, eight of the marketing and promotional team, came out to Martha's Vineyard, which is not enough Cape Cod, where we produce a music festival called Beach Road Weekend, and we were all there to have meetings with the local media and to host some open houses to talk about the lineup and to talk about a concert series we also produce on the island, and. Uh, while we were there, this was the, I, the we all arrived on March March nine, and as we all know, that week was the week that everything went from bad to worse, and we had some promotional events that slowly were canceling, and canceling and canceling, and then 
the staff flew home after the uh, a big open house we had planned had to cancel and I stayed on the island um, to close things up. And um, that was on March 11th. And I had a meeting with a, somebody on the mainland at a, um, a, 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 a ferry company, a company that provides passenger service to and from the island. And that, that man showed me a, an old drive-in vacant lot. 40 years ago, it had been a drive-in movie theater. And I went to, uh, with him, I had lunch, and then we went to this drive-in, this old vacant lot. No, there was no screen left, there was no nothing. It was literally an empty field with asphalt and weeds. And he asked me if I'd be interested in doing a festival out there. And I looked, took one look at the site and I laughed. And I said, look, there's no way in the world it's safe to do a festival here. There's broken glass in the grounds. There's, pull, there's old pull tops from beer cans from 1972. This is just not an appropriate place to do, a, do an event. And I went back home. I went back to the island. And, um, and then a day later, the national emergency was declared. And so I was stuck on this island and not really wanting to get on an airplane while everything was going crazy. And I sat at this house, my house on, on this island for about four weeks by myself, literally trying to figure out how in the world our industry was going to recover, what it looked like, what was next, what was next for the company, how I was going to somehow finance and keep people employed as long as I could. And really, um, uh, very nervous for what the future held. And it took me a few weeks, but after a while of just really becoming both stir crazy, you know, just crazy enough to come up with interesting ideas and bored, bored enough to come up with some interesting ideas. I, I, re I remembered having seen this old drive-in movie theater site back in, you know, early mid-March. And so I called the guy who showed me the site and I asked him about it. And I said, could I use that site? You know, what do you think? Could I use that site for a potential drive-in venue because the only way to see a show safely in the future would be potentially in a vehicle. And so one thing leads to another. And before I know it, I've got proposals into the town that that site is on and they say that they're interested, but they're not ready to talk about it. So I chased them for the next, let's see, that was April, April, May, and June. I kept putting and updating my proposal. And before too long, I, went, I, met, I met in front of the city council over a Zoom call, and I presented my proposal. This proposal was to put a, two video walls up with a, a big concert stage and have uh, show movies and bring in live entertainment um, and do it all with the audience safely in a vehicle so that they could enjoy some, something that they lost, but not have a... Um, um, you know, any threat of, 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 to their public, to their, to their health. And, uh, we, we ended up getting approval. We got all the things we need in order to open a drive-in entertainment center from this town. And of course we'd never done anything like this before. So we had to kind of imagine what the paradigm could look like. Everything from emergency action plans, from, uh, the COVID safety plan for our staff, how people get in and out of the venue, 
what kind of booking, you know, how, how it works. I'd never run a movie theater. I, we just literally learned everything we need to know in the span of about two weeks. And we learned a few things we didn't know. I mean, a lot of things we did know, a lot of things we didn't know. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, and, uh, and I should say, when it comes to showing movies, like we never, I'd never run a movie theater before. So uh, we knew how to book shows, but we didn't have as many contacts within live entertainment. But we, so we, we concurrently had to run a hundred miles an hour to book movies, figure out that industry, as well as try to book live entertainment all from the end of June through uh, the, um, uh, through the summer. And we started showing movies in the second week of July. I should say, let me back up here. We started construction of the Yarmouth drive-in on Cape Cod on July 6th. And we had our uh, ambitious opening day scheduled for a showing of Jurassic Park on July 12th. So we had, we put tickets on sale for Jurassic Park as kind of our grand opening event. It was a paid ticket and it sold out very quickly. We had 450 plus vehicles and we sold it out very quickly. And we were very, very excited because we'd sold out so quickly. So we thought every movie we show would, would, would um, sell out as well. And um, Jurassic Park sold out and that ended up, those sales were the most we ended up ever selling for any movie the rest of the summer. It was not, uh, turns out that movies are not a great way to um, uh, attract audiences, especially when there are no first run movies out and, um, and when all, all kinds of um, uh, movie theaters like it, drive-ins around the country are showing the same exact old movies. So it, it ended up being quite an adventure showing, uh, uh, you know, old uh, legacy films and classics when everybody else in the same area was showing those same movies. So it was, it turned out to be a financial disaster showing films. Um, with that, I, I, I wanted to, I, I can pause for a second if you wanted to pivot me to a different um, uh, topic, but that's, did I answer your question? Yes. Um, but then you also did uh, entertainment, live entertainment, in addition to these films in Yarmouth. Is that right? Correct. So, so after um, uh, we, we, we had started reaching out to agents the second we got confirmed to win the contract to run or build out this drive-in. But it took a while because a lot of, a lot of agents, we were calling everybody, every agent, that, that represents live music, live entertainment, comedy. We called everybody, and we we put we we did a tremendous amount of marketing for our own venue to let people know where it was. I mean, nobody knew where Yarmouth was. Um, they knew Cape Cod, so we had to present. We had to create a marketing package. We had to a deck. We had to create a, a a pitch strategy for letting people know about this brand new venue they'd never heard of before, and all of a sudden. We're trying to book shows into a place that nobody ever knew existed until the week before. And you, I mean, you know, Nate, you're, the Cogar Center has been around for years, right? Um, but just imagine the first day you open. I mean, you have to let people know you're there. And so not only do we not really, we had to, we had to start letting people know that this brand new venue existed. 
while at the same time hoping we could get them to agree to come out and do shows in an unconventional space. This is a drive-in entertainment center. Okay, now not many entertainers really were all that excited about the idea of performing to a parking lot. So we had to work very, very hard at considering and hearing what they were telling us when we talked to agents about what the obstacles were to get an artist to willing to come out and do shows in this environment. And so from the very beginning, we started to both push information out to agents about what we, what we, what structure of a venue we had and what we, and we were also hearing from them about what things they didn't like in what we were telling them. And we were trying our best to create a venue by using direct feedback from agents to find what they wanted us to deliver for them and then building it into our infrastructure. In essence, reformulating the DNA of the venue on the fly so that we could show them the place that they felt like that, that the place we had for them was safe and, and um, uh, not physically safe, but safe for their artists to play that we were delivering a great experience for their, their, their clients, right? So we wanted to make sure that we had communicated very clearly what we were all about, not just the venue, but what innovation arts is about and what, how innovation arts and this venue were there to serve the artist. That was the thing that we absolutely put first and foremost is that we knew there was going to be a lot of uncertainty about this entire environment and this entire venue. So if that we need to work very hard at being 100% committed to doing the things that we said, the integrity of what we built mattered first and foremost. And we put a huge amount of effort into, you know, when, when somebody would give us some feedback, we would instantly go out and refine our systems and processes or gear and implement it immediately to show them that we were sincere in our conviction to build a venue that served their client. And so, before, with, with, and this, is, this, is, this whole thing sounds like it could have taken years, but we didn't have years. So we had weeks to make things happen. We did a renovation two and a half weeks after opening. Okay, all, I mean, cosmetic and, and structural in order to show people that we were serious about delivering a great experience, both for our audience and the, and the, um, and the artist. So we had a great uh, uh, amount of feedback and all of a sudden we started booking shows. And we started hearing that fans and comedians were willing to go out. And so we booked a few shows. We booked Eliza Schlesinger, the comedian, and a band called Ripe that's a Boston-based band that's about to blow up and is about to become a, a big national act. And we booked the both of them. We put them on sale. And within a day, they had both sold out. And that was it. <laughs> like, once both agents saw what, we, what power we had developed and what a great marketing machine we had developed by connecting with our audiences, all, uh, primarily through having shown movies for weeks, we were able to deliver sellout audiences to these acts with very, very little marketing spend and produce shows at a high level. So not only did we, so we had sold, uh, we sold out both, both artists very quickly and all of a sudden, you know, that's, that's the best marketing you can ever ask for. And all of a sudden, as a result, we had, we had acts calling us left and right and our calendar started to fill up. And we ended up with a massive success in terms of agents calling us nonstop. There were, we just, we were booking shows every day. We, there were some days we announced four or five shows 
And it all started by understanding what they were looking for and then delivering it every single time they asked. One of the things I see is a key difference between a film and the live entertainment uh, from a technical point of view is, were you doing the thing where you listen to the movie through your car radio? And then did you do that for the bands or did you put up a PA so they were listening to it more like it was a festival experience where you're in a field and you're hearing, you know, the live music coming from the stage through a, through a big uh, public address system? The, uh, in order to get the clearance from the town, we had to um, uh, agree to do a, a system that had a low impact on the surrounding community. So we designed a, a, an FM transmission system that, 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 was, that utilized um, sim the tech, same technology that drive-in movies used. So we, we were using it for both movies and bands. And it presented a ton of challenges. I mean, a ton. Um, because primarily the band, the band plays live. There's a microsecond between the time that the music leaves the band's instruments to the point it reaches the, the cars through the FM transmission. And then even beyond that, you have a delay to the people that are furthest out in the field. So you potentially have three different audio signals reaching the audience in different places as a result of the fact that you're not using a PA system. And it really presented a ton of, of audio challenges. And, and there was really, we worked very, very hard all summer to make sure that the experience was great for the act and great for the audience, but it was, it was not conventional. And it was, even though the ironic thing is that the, the system, the FM transmission is a, um, uh, it's a direct soundboard presentation. They're hearing the band in its purest form. But yet, as a result of it, when they stepped outside their vehicle, for example, it, it started to degrade almost instantly because you had co conflict between what was coming acoustically off the stage and what was coming through the radio. So it was an exhausting experience trying to create a, 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 an adequate and, and frankly, you know, excellent audio experiences, which is something we, we, we desperately want. And when people come to hear live music, they come to hear live music. Okay? And if they're not hearing it well, it, 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 it devalues the experience. So one of the reasons we're talking to you today here on the Cogar Center Arts Roundup is because uh, you have taken the show on the road, so to speak, uh, meaning you are doing some shows here in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Can you talk about how Innovation Arts and Entertainment, a Chicago-based company who had this successful drive-in in Cape Cod, finds themselves doing concerts in Columbia, South Carolina? Uh, so, so after the, the, the success we had over the summer uh, up on Cape Cod, we were, we were looking at a situation where we had, we, the summer was coming to an end, it was getting cooler out, and, and we realized that we were gonna have to close, even though we were successful. I mean, one thing that I haven't said is we sold almost 60,000, the equivalent of almost 60,000 tickets to live events over the summer for over 40 concerts. So we had a lot of success. We had really developed some great relationships with, with artists, management, and agents who trusted us now. 
they knew how, how much work we put into trying to overcome the obstacles presented by a pandemic to deliver a great experience for them and for the audience, right? So we had the trust, we'd earned the trust. And so in order to, you know, we, we, we were faced with a choice. We either, you know, to close up for the winter and just go back to the same problems we had in March, which were, how are we gonna sustain this? How are we gonna sustain the company? How are we gonna sustain our staff? How are we gonna feed, you know, continue to offer something to feed people? Both, you know, like both our staff, our team, our families, and the and and the, and and our audiences that were all eager for some semblance of live entertainment. How how are we gonna how are we gonna keep that going? And so I ended up, you know, we've been pursuing and looking for warmer climates where we can operate for, you know, during the the, the northeastern winter, but move it, you know. So we figured, okay, let's find warmer climates, someplace where we can actually operate during the winter. And so I started looking and talking, you know, talking to people and just asking a lot of questions about parts of the country that, you know, where we can operate, what kind of potential, you know, we started to figure out what kind of um, environment we needed um, to do the right kind of venue to build upon the prototype we'd successfully um, uh, deployed on Cape Cod. And, you know, I ended up talking to Daniel Hample, who, who of course, has, has a very successful business uh, producing the Broadway and Columbia series, and um, Daniel, Daniel, I've, and I've known each other, and, and I've known Tim Roberts, the principal of the company, since um, I, you know, before I even started my own company. So I, you know, we we were talking, and and they mentioned Columbia, and I known that they had they had a very successful business here with you guys, and we had been successful in the past with David Sedaris. Not that that's a, a direct correlation, but just that I've had a positive experience in Columbia in the past. And so we, we started looking for potential sites where we could do what we'd done on Cape Cod, but do it with you guys in, in Columbia. And, um, and, you know, after some searching around and literally searching Google Maps at times, just looking for what looked to be open fields, um, we, we, um, uh, we found a site at, at the fairgrounds and there was, it turns out there was too much pavement. And so then we started looking at, around again and we found the Columbia Speedway. And Daniel reached out, and we ended up uh, to the, to to um, John Banks and Bobby Sellers, who own the uh, Bobby Sellers owns the um, the site here, and John manages it. And we ended up in a conversation, a pretty deep conversation, about making a commitment to building a true, you know, a, an extension of our Cape Cod prototype venue for Columbia, for the Columbia and Casey market. And it's you know it's been a pretty. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but intense few weeks, but we are in the cusp of opening the largest live entertainment venue in South Carolina that is built upon COVID safety compliance standards. And, you know, we have an incredible opportunity to bring live music back to the, the audiences here in a really first class experience with great spacing built into our seating, a seating plan, as well as first class audio, video, and production quality for the talent. There is no place in, in North America that's offering the quality of experience for a talent that we are here. And that's purely because we understand what they're looking for as a result of, the, of, of, of working over the summer. And we will, you know, we continue with that conviction to providing a first class experience for them to come and present and entertain people, you know, in large numbers, like we talked about earlier. 
So this is not going to be a drive-in though, like what was in Yarmouth. This is more of a festival style field where people can bring their own chairs and blankets, but you're sitting outdoors. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. One of the, one of the things we decided was that we were not going to be doing drive-ins anymore. It was a compromise, the audio system, as I mentioned earlier, it was a it's a compromise for the art artist. I mean, when they're looking out and seeing a car, it's just not normal. Okay, you know, there is nothing normal about playing to a parking lot. And so that was one of the things is that we that we were forced to to accept in, in on Cape Cod that we didn't have a choice about. But we decided that if we were going to proceed and move forward with future venues in a similar vein, the one thing, the two things we demanded of ourselves was that we would not build another drive-in. There were no cars on the field in front of an artist. And secondly, that they would not be playing through an FM transmitter. They'd be playing exclusively through a full top quality PA system. And so those two changes have been built into the uh, Columbia Speedway Entertainment Center. So there is, this is a direct festival experience, except a less congested one. And this is a, a COVID safe experience because you're limiting the number of people, the space between um, but for the future, this is the kind of thing that could grow into quite a large gathering. Is that right? Yes. So, so one of the things that we really um, sought and we will continue to seek are venues that will not just end when COVID has been beaten. We want to find an opportunity in every situation where we could build a venue that will outlast it. So that, that we see the COVID socially distanced seating as a temporary thing but that the venue itself are, 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 that the venues themselves are located in markets that have been underserved by the touring, the touring live entertainment circuit. So that hopefully when this all comes to an end, the venue itself has developed a consistent relationship with its audience as far as uh, to provide a top quality audio, uh, uh, concert experience that will keep people coming back. And the site here, while it can hold 3,600 people in a socially distanced way, and still provide a first-class experience, we know that, you know, if you bring in the right shows, people come. And we are 100% prepared to make that commitment to build what we've built now to, to entertain people while there's, a, there's you know, uh, COVID safety measures in place. But beyond that, we know we're building, for, we're building something that will last long into the future. Before we wrap things up, can you talk to us about the upcoming concerts, just so people know what to look forward to in these uh, coming weeks? Uh, first, uh, obviously this week is our first week of true live entertainment. Um, and we open on Thursday night with country star uh, Kip Moore. Uh, and we go directly into a, uh, a night with St. Paul and the Broken Bones from Alabama, and then on Saturday, we have a, um, a great show with the Almond Betts Band, the sons of the founders and creators of the Almond Brothers. Um, and from there, we have some great comedy. We have uh, you know, Greg Gutfeld, we have uh, Winona Judd. Uh, we just this morning announced we are bringing Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires in. Um, and these guys have sold out the last time they were in, um, in Columbia over the township, and we know this one's gonna be big. Uh, we've got Chase Rice in December. Um, you know, we are, we are actively booking and we are 
because of our, our the quality of the experience we delivered in, in on Cape Cod, we have a great amount of uh, uh, success in terms of connecting to agents who want to put their acts on stage and knowing when Innovation Arts builds them a venue that they are getting exactly what their artists need. And will this continue through the winter or do you see this taking a hiatus and then coming back in the spring? Um, so so we, we will, we have to accept that we are an outdoor venue and subject to the whims of the weather. I mean, in fact, our first week uh, which was supposed to be last week um, was 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 uh, directly interrupted by uh, lightning and electrical storms that 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 plagued the area for almost three and a half days. So you know the safety of our audience is first and foremost, and if that means that they they can enjoy the experience of seeing a show, then we are not going to be putting one on. And so to that end, if we do expect that the the venue will. Uh, take a temporary hiatus during the months where it's coldest and the weather weather is most unpredictable, which it sounds to be like December, the end of December through March. Uh, we will be paying attention to what's on the touring circuit and if there's an opportunity for some act and some artist that is something we cannot pass up, we would give it a shot as long as the weather is in, in a cooperative time that's not too risky. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, we've been talking with Adam Epstein, the founder of Innovation Arts and Entertainment and the founder of the new Cola Concert Series at the Columbia Motor Speedway Entertainment Center. Uh, Adam, it's lovely to have you back in Columbia. Uh, we've always enjoyed working with you with the shows you brought to the Coger Center. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Well, we look forward to seeing lots of concerts here in Columbia, uh, not just this winter, but on into the spring, summer, fall of next year as well. Thank you, Nate. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.